behind the back, wrap around, and climbing the ladder is Dante Hall. Sexton. Step back. Good! Patty at three. Oh, he's a flamethrower! What a shot! 6-3. It's good! It's good! It's good! Colin Sexton made the floater! They'll review it! But oh mercy! Colin Sexton may have saved the season! Tigers set to trigger it in. Smart gets it into Watford. Threw it away! He'll run it down in the backcourt. He will take it to the top of the arc. Watford three at the buzzer blocked by Herb. The putback, no! The buzzer sounds! And Bama hangs on! Oh my goodness! Welcome in to another episode of the Double Dribble Podcast, your source for all things Alabama basketball. I am your host, head basketball analyst of Tide Illustrated at the Rivals Network, Jordan Harper. You can find me on Twitter at HarperNation24. I'm always posting Alabama basketball information. You might catch a little bit of Jacksonville Jaguars, Dallas Mavericks, um, and Atlanta Braves content. But I'm fully invested in Alabama basketball year-round, whether it's recruiting season, team-oriented things, you name it. I'm all in on Alabama basketball, have been for about 20 years now. What we're seeing now with Alabama basketball is truly incredible. And I put out a a tweet today, if you want to go find it. it. It was early this morning. I'm recording now on January 28th at about 9.53 p.m. Central Standard Time. And I put out a tweet today kind of comparing Alabama basketball from 10 years before, the 10 years cumulative before Nick Nadeau arrived to Alabama, compared to the four and a half years now that we have of the sample size that Nadeau has so far. And obviously the big impact he's made is offensive efficiency, scoring input or scoring output, and just how dominant Alabama's been on the bas- on the offensive end. So my tweet read, I wanted to compare Alabama's scoring outputs by game from the 10 years prior to Coach Oates to the four and a half years with Coach Oates. So from 2009 to 2019, the end of the 2019 season, Alabama scored 80 to 89 points 39 times. 90 to 99 points six times, and 100 plus points three times. Folks, for reference, just this year, Alabama just scored 100 points or more for the sixth time. And we're only halfway through this season. In the Nate Oates era from 2019 to 2024, they've scored 80 to 89 points 44 times compared to 39. 90 to 99 points, 23 times compared to six, and 100 plus points, 17 times compared to just three. And I ended it with incredible because it is incredible. And Alabama scored 100 plus points again last night in a 109 to 88 victory over LSU. Now, the offensive efficiency is ridiculous how well they shoot the three, how well they finish at the rim, how good they shoot 
from the free throw line consistently all around. You know you're going to get a great offensive game from Alabama. It's just every other year it seems like will they be able to conjure up enough stops to win the ball game. And here in this game against LSU, LSU played toe-to-toe with Alabama when Alabama was shooting out of their minds in the first half. They started out four or five from three, and they carried it over. And at, But at one point, it was 41-40 to 40 after an 8 Oats technical foul and a shooting foul to where they made three out of four free throws. And then after that, Alabama went on a 10-2 run, or 9-2 run, excuse me, to end the half at 50-42 to 42 in the final two minutes of the second half. So while they're, they're dominating offensively, they just couldn't con, you know, get enough stops in a row to really pull, push the lead away. So it was, 50, it was actually 50 to 44, I apologize. They had two free throws um, with no time left on the clock. But then they proceeded to outscore LSU 59 to 44 in the second half. Sure, you don't like the 44 points again given up by LSU, but when you're scoring 50-plus points and a half, both halves, you're not going to lose that game more times than not. And I, I, I would actually go on record saying you're not going to lose those games 99 times out of 100. You're just not. You're not going to be that bad defensively, or at least I hope you're not giving up 100 points in regulation, but also scoring 100. That would be a great game. Anyways, kind of going into this game. It was a struggle for the first 18 minutes, and then after that, Alabama just kept coming and hitting threes, hitting threes. They shot 41% from three, and we're going to dive into the bot score, as you know, as we always do after uh, podcast after games. But I thought this was a great group effort from the starting lineup. Now, Nate Oates changed up the starting lineup a little bit. They had Mark Sears, Latrell Reitzel, um, Aaron Estrada, Rylan Griffin and Grant Nelson. So they went really small with this lineup, really small. They played, basically played four guards and Grant Nelson. Knowing that LSU, while they do have a seven-footer inside, that they would really struggle with Alabama's quickness and their guard play. And they, Nados was correct. And it really sparked them offensively to start out the game. And it just kept going and going, and they, they really never slowed down. They really never had that offensive lull of like five to six minutes of scoring two points or less that they typically do um, each night. So Nate Oates all always had the right lineup in, it seemed like, offensively. Defensively, there, there were times where they kind of got bullied inside or they, they had this big size advantage and uh, – LSU's big man Baker took them to the post and really got easy layups. And Nados will quickly go to Jaron Stevenson and put him at the four instead of Riley Griffin or put Muhammad Wagee or Nick Pringle, who didn't even play till the set late in the second half, put him in late um, to kind of stop the bleeding um, on the interior defense. So let's dive into the box score a little bit. Um, we'll start with, with Alabama first. Everybody in the starting lineup scored in double figures, scored 12 or more points, actually. In a game last in a last game against, against Auburn where the starting lineup kind of struggled and the bench had to pick up some of the slack. I believe the bench scored about 
27 points, 27 or 30 points. I can't remember off the top of my head, but they they really carried their weight led by Ryland Griffin in 17 points. This game was all about the starting lineup, mainly because everybody that started the game typically plays the most minutes anyway. There was just no immediate impact player that came that comes off the bench now. That now that you have everybody in the starting lineup. So NATO's really relied heavily on that on that unit. Um, Jaron Stevenson was the only, only one that really got meaningful double digit minutes. Sam Walters got eleven, but a majority of those were at the very end of the ball game that kind of pushed him over that. Um, and Muhammad Diabate as well. He he played kind of when the game was way out of hand majority of the time. But NATO's really relied on this group of five, and he he saw something, and they really gelled well together. Shot great from the free throw line, 25 of 28 for 90, 90%. Shot 14 of 34 from three, 41%, and 35 of 63 overall, 55%. Um, so that was 21 of 29 from two, which was super efficient. Anytime you get 50, 40, 90 from, as a team, you're going to score a lot of points in the, if you're Nate Oates' offense, putting up as many shots as they do. Um, individually, Mark Sears led the way with 21 points, 11 of 11 from the free throw line. So he went. He was very aggressive, especially in the second half. They, they really got LSU in foul trouble really early in the second half. I believe with like 12 minutes left, they were all, Alabama was already in the bonus so, you know, he reaped the rewards from that, shooting 11 free throws. Latrell Ratzel continues to stay on fire. He's good for about four to five threes a game now, and that is huge. And it typically came off the bench. He didn't play but maybe 20, 22 minutes. But Nate Oates realizes what he has right now. He has a flamethrower from deep. And anytime you have someone like that in this type of offense, you get them as many minutes as feasibly possible. And he played 30 minutes this game. And he scored 19 points on 5 of 10 from 3. He had 2 of 2 from the free throw line and 2 steals as well. I thought I think he plays really hard defensively. Um, he, he's, he's not a stopper by any means, but he does um, play his tail off on that end. Aaron Estrada had a great bounce back game after not scoring against Auburn. Had 18 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists. Um, 6 to 13 overall from the field, 2 of 6 from 3. And then you had Ryland Griffin and Grant Nelson both scoring 12. I thought Ryland was very passionate this game. He ended up 4 of 6 from 3, so he keeps his hot shooting going um, from the Auburn game. And then Grant Nelson, 12 points, 6 of 6 from the free throw line. He didn't really force anything. He was pretty aggressive when he had the ball. Um, driving it to the lane, backing down guys when he had a little bit of a size advantage. When he's not forcing things, I feel like he's at his best, which that's majority of anybody, any player out there. If they're not forcing, they're probably um, doing well for themselves, but especially Grant because I know how much he wants to be an impact player, and he can be. He just has to let the game come to him, and for this game, the game never really had to come to him because the guards really took over this game. But he's the guy that has to play interior defense nine, you know, 90% of the time now. 
So he's going to have to stay locked in on that end probably more than offensively uh, for this team to go deep into the tournament. Looking at the bench, you, you had several scores. You had three, six different scores, nobody in double figures. I thought Mohamed Diabate played really well, had a block and a steal, eight points, four from four from the, from the field. Jared Stevenson had five. Sam Walters had seven, hit a three. And Nick Pringle, like I mentioned, he played eight minutes. Muhammad McGee played four. You're looking at a kind of a changing of the guard, I feel like, in this team to where Grant Nelson and Jaron Stevenson are going to be your four or five combo. And we're just going to roll out three to four guards at a time and watch them play fast, get up and down, shoot a lot of threes. And that's going to be super exciting to watch. Obviously, against bigger teams, you might see Pringle and McGee play a little bit more than tonight. But overall, this offense works with Jaron at the four, Grant at the five. And then if you're wanting to play four guards like they did tonight, start lineup. Kind of touching on LSU real quick. Uh, I thought Mike Williams, the third, had a really good game. Um, Freshman guard out of Baltimore, Maryland. He had 16 points, shot 5'11 from the field. Um, Jalen Cook, who I was a big fan of coming out of the portal, uh, wished Alabama could have gotten him, but he had 11 points, 3 of 9 from 3. He's got a really nice stroke when he gets when he gets hot. Um, Jordan Wright had 10 points. Will Baker, who had majority of the – the inside assignment for LSU had 12 points. Um, I thought he forced a lot um, inside, but um, Derek Fountain had 14. So LSU shot 42% from the field, 39% from three. They shot 11 of 28 from three, which was remarkable for them. They're not afraid to shoot it. Um, they were on tonight and still lost by 21. Shows goes to show you how incredible Alabama's offense can be. Uh, but they did leave, leave 10 points out there on free throws, shot 17 of 27 overall. So Alabama won 109 to 88. Kind of going over to the Kim Palm rankings, looking at them. They're, they're number eight right now, talking about Sunday after all the games have been played. They still have the number one offensive efficiency by .4 over Purdue. And then they have a 66 ranking of adjusted defense with a fifth ranked adjusted strength of schedule based on Kim Palm. So obviously still very strong in Kim Palm. Going over to net, Alabama moved up two spots today to number six. They are three and five in quad one games, two and one in quad two, five and zero, oh, and four and zero oh in quad three and four. The metrics continue to really love Alabama. And that's really what's carrying them right now. And I don't see it slowing down. A lot of that has to do with their number one offense and a, I wouldn't say a middle of the road defense, but they're kind of average. But that number one offensive efficiency paired with the strength of schedule adjusted for Ken Palm has really kept them high. And the same goes for the net. They love offensive efficiency, and Alabama's one of the best, so therefore they're going to be really high in the net, and they really value teams that schedule tough, and Alabama obviously has one of the top 
strength of schedules in the country as well. And they also have the number 17th strength of record. In the worthless AP poll, I can see Alabama being top 20, maybe right at 20 when the polls come out tomorrow, but they're useless. I don't care about them, but I thought I might throw them, that in there for the people that do care. So looking at up, upcoming schedule, I'm going to kind of touch on the Georgia game. They play at Georgia, who is 80th in the net. So right now it would be a quad two game. They play them on January 31st on Wednesday at 6.30. And then they come back home next Saturday and play number 38 Mississippi State, which if they keep winning, could end up being a quad one game, which is crazy to think. But right now it's a high quad two game um, at home against Mississippi State on Saturday at 8.30. Man, I wish they would stop putting such late games on Saturday night. So let's touch on this Georgia game. The ESPN predictor has, which I put no value in, it does have Alabama as a 78% favorite uh, to beat Georgia. Now, Georgia is a very interesting team. They're 4-3 and three in conference, so they're up there in the top upper echelon of the SEC. They haven't beaten anybody with a pulse all season, and it makes you wonder who they are. And I hate when teams don't schedule tough because then when it comes conference play, you really don't know what what they are, and it's really hard to to gauge. So some of their non-conference games that they've played, they lost to to Oregon the first game of the year. They lost to Miami when they were 12th ranked, but Miami is kind of bad right now. Um, They did win at Florida State, which Florida State's turned out okay. But in the SEC, the main games that they lost outside of beating Missouri, Arkansas, and LSU, which are three of the bottom half teams in the SEC, they lost to Tennessee by six at home, which they blew a huge lead late. I think they had a 10-point lead with about four or five minutes to go. And then they lost at Kentucky 105-96. to So they gave up a bunch of points to Kentucky, who plays very similarly to Alabama. So that's something to keep in mind. And they did – give up 102 to Florida in overtime, which Georgia came all the way back from down 21 in the second half. So they're they're a scrappy bunch. They just haven't beaten anybody. They don't have that marquee win unless you count at South Carolina, which has become a tough place to play. They did win 74 to 69. But Alabama's by far going to be one of their toughest tests that they'll play all year. And – the fact that they barely lost and should have beaten Tennessee at home will let you know that's going to be a tough game. Now, kind of looking at their statistics, um, they're very guard-oriented. Uh, they have Russell Chiwa, who's their main big guy. He averages seven points and seven rebounds. And really, they don't have a single rim protector, which is going to be huge for Alabama. They average less than four blocks a game, which is less than Alabama. So that kind of shows you uh, where they are being a rim protecting team. But one guy that can always get hot for Georgia is Jabari Abdurrahim. So the last three games for, or three of the last five games for Raheem, he scored 34 and 21. 34 at Kentucky and then 21 against Tennessee. So he plays really well against good teams. 
Um, he plays a lot of minutes. He's going to have the ball in his hands a whole lot. And it's really going to come down to him and R.J. Melendez. Noah Thomason is really nice. He's he's a solid player as well. Um, but R.J. Melendez and Jabbar, Jabri Abdur Rahim, excuse me, are their main scoring threats. Abdur Rahim averages 40% from three. Thomason averages 34. Melendez, while he's not a great three-point shooter, he's a great finisher 15 feet and in. So Alabama's going to have to guard him um, at all three levels. But outside of that, it could just end up being a guard-oriented game. So I could see Alabama throwing a four-guard lineup out again, putting Grant Nelson inside on Chiwa and seeing what happens. I think that's a great matchup. And I think Georgia's, you know, a bad or a good matchup for Alabama when you're talking about going up and down scoring-wise. And I think Alabama can can put up a lot of points. Now, you never can tell on the road – but I think Alabama is going to be a bad matchup for Georgia, just like Kentucky was when they played at Kentucky. I think Alabama could put up a lot of points. But like I said, games on the road, you never know. You absolutely never know. So I have Alabama winning that game. I actually went through and went – I'm going to kind of cover on the last 10 minutes of this podcast. I went through – and predicted every single game from here on out. Since we're at the, you know, one one third of the way through the conference season, I went ahead and predicted every single game left on the slate, and came up with um, who what what I project the overall records to be and the overall SEC standings. So I had Alabama beating Georgia. But coming out of it, I had Tennessee at 15-3. and I thought that, you know, they've already lost one game. I think they'll lose at Kentucky, and I think they'll lose at South Carolina. I had them beating Alabama just because they've already, they dominated Alabama the first time. I'm not going to go and say I think Alabama's going to beat them at home, which I think they really can't. But I think Tennessee will finish 15-3. and I had a three-way tie at the top with Alabama, Auburn, and Kentucky at 13-5. and five. So that'll be your top four seeds, I, I predict. Alabama finishing 21-10. and 10. And then you just have a big log jam below that three-way tie for 10-8 and eight with Ole Miss, Florida, South Carolina. And then a three-way tie at 9-9 nine and nine with Georgia State and A&M. And then the bottom four, LSU, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Missouri. So I think Alabama finishes really strong. Um, I think they'll finish at 13-5. and five. They have a really tough schedule, especially on the road, playing Kentucky, Auburn, Florida. Um, they got Georgia coming up and Ole Miss. Now, the home games are easier outside of Tennessee, but I, I see Alabama finishing likely 7-4 and four in their last 11. But overall, a top four seed, 21-plus wins for Alabama, no, not counting what they do in the SEC tournament. That's easily a four, four seed, five seed at the worst in the NCAA tournament. You take that every year, no matter up year, down year, whatever, four to five seed every single year, you totally take it. And this is supposed to be a quote-unquote down year considering NATO's pretty much pieced this whole whole team together with 
transfers and freshmen with a few returning starters. But anyways, just kind of looking at the standings right now, you got Bama all alone at one, at six and one. Tennessee's right behind them at five and one. They didn't play a midweek game this last week, so they're a half game back. Then you got South Carolina, Auburn, and Kentucky at five and two. South Carolina has been a huge surprise. Lamont Paris has done a great job with that team, and I really think that they can be for real. I think that they can make the tournament. They're 17 and three now. That's hard to ignore, no matter what their strength of schedule is. But they're five and two in conference, um, 55th in Kim Palm, and sorry, I didn't look this. It just kind of popped into my head of, um, and they're 52nd and in the net. So the metrics do not love them. You watch them play, and you see their roster. They're not sexy. They're they're not a team that you're you're just wowed by. But they find ways to win. Um, very similar to what Mississippi State is and has been for the past few years, who just came off a big win against Auburn. So those teams typically win enough games at home and still one or two on the road to enough to make the tournament, which I can see South Carolina doing. I have them finishing 10 and 8, 21 and 10 overall, which could possibly be good enough to slip in as, you know, a nine seed or one of the play in games. So Alabama's got Georgia this Wednesday on the road, and then they got Mississippi State at home on Saturday. Kind of looking ahead past that, um, they got at Auburn that following Wednesday, and then home against LSU, LSU, or at LSU after that, that weekend. And then they play a two-game stint at home against A&M and at, at home against Florida. So looking at it, you have – five of your next six very winnable games before you hit that tough three-game stretch of at Kentucky, at Ole Miss, and home against Tennessee. Alabama's in great shape. I think everybody would agree that with that. You would have taken six and one in the first seven conference games without a doubt. So Alabama is going to be in great shape moving forward. And if they can just steal a couple games on the road, I think they'll hold serve at home the rest of the way. This team could end up making a run for an SEC regular season championship, which would be absolutely insane. Um, and if they hit that, that means they're going to probably be around 24 wins, which <laughs> you never know what happened in the SEC tournament, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. But if, if they did run the table and win the SEC regular season and the tournament, they could be right back up there in that 2-3 seed range. How incredible of a back-to-back season would that be? I personally think they'll finish around a five, four at the best. But what a job Nate Oates has done and has just invigorated this fan base and this program, just elevated them to heights that we never thought we would see. And it's it's truly exciting to watch, truly exciting. Make, makes you really anticipate – and can't wait to watch the next Bama basketball game, which that's been me for a long time. But, man, there's been some dark periods for about eight or ten years to where I just – I kind of dreaded it. I kind of dread watching them. But now I'm super excited to watch them every single night, knowing that we're going to get a show, we're going to get a great product on the court. Whatever happens, happens. But you know they're going to be competitive and they're going to score a lot of points. Also, a little brief recruiting news, kind of really huge. 
Um, Mikael Brown Jr., who I had an article come out uh, with an interview with him that did an official visit, um, I believe it was two weeks ago, on Alabama's campus uh, for a few days. Five-star 2025 point guard out of overtime elite who might reclassify to 2024. He visited unofficially at Alabama Saturday night at the LSU game, along with Caleb Holt, five-star 2026 player out of Georgia. So Alabama's recruiting at a high level, they're playing at a high level, and they've got a high-level product that they put in year in and year out, and it's truly remarkable how far this program's come. But I'm out of time, everyone. Um, I appreciate everyone listening to another episode of the Double Dribble Podcast. You can catch me at HarperNation24 on Twitter, um, and come on over to Tide Illustrated of the Rivals Network to get premium content on Alabama basketball, recruiting, team team news, offseason, everything. I'm always active on there. Um, But until next time, I appreciate everyone listening. Adios.